I used to think that leadership just meant that you were someone that could stand in front of a room and motivate and inspire people. Cause a lot of times that's what people think that a leader is just like the person that like rallies the troops. And while that's super important, I think it's way more about who you are than what you do. And some of the best leaders I know stand in the back of the room and they empower other people to go do it. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Hampton Dorch, welcome to Bridging the Gap, my friend. Just next door over in Birmingham, Alabama. How are you doing, my friend? Matt, I am fired up to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, man, this will be a fun conversation. I'm super intrigued. I think that this is a, it's an interesting conversation because I, I think it's going to allow our listeners to really understand the younger generation. I think you've got such a great pulse on on the generation from a financial side, from a you know a culture side, what they like, what they don't like. And I, I think it's something that the industry is really battling with. And I think you can bring some great perspective. So I'm really stoked to have this conversation. But before we get in, I always like to understand the journey. And, and the way that I, I tend to go through that is I always ask, right, an account executive and, and what you're doing today, it, the 13-year-old Hampton Dorch, and you have a podcast and everything, was that like at 13, you're like, this is what I want to do, go be an account executive and have a podcast and be a you know a voice for the, the younger generation? Was that what you wanted to be at 13? And if not, then what did the 13-year-old Hampton Dorch want to do? I am pretty young, but even when I was 13, I don't know if podcasts were around. Maybe, maybe they were just starting. I mean, because let's see, that was probably... About to turn 26, so that would have been like 13 years ago. I don't know if they were around, but I, I've always enjoyed like talking to people, building relationships, having conversations. I would say that part of my story is that lots of people, and and maybe it was just my mom and grandmother, but lots of people I felt like told me that I was like a natural born leader, and that used to make me feel good. And my mom would say, "Well, here's the thing, though you you can lead for good, helping other people, or you can lead for bad, or, or really for yourself, and make it all about you." So I, I think that throughout my life, I've gone back and forth with that. I used to think that leadership just meant that you were someone that could stand in front of a room and motivate and inspire people. And frankly, that's probably why people said that I was like a good leader, because a lot of times that's what people think that a leader is, just like the person that like rallies the troops. And while that's super important, I think it's way more about who you are than what you do. And some of the best leaders I know stand in the back of the room and they empower other people to go do it. And so I've been on that journey over the last really 13 years, probably since I was a teenager of really learning what uh, leadership is. I've made a lot of mistakes along the way. Back then, I probably wanted to uh, like be a professional soccer player or I ran track. So like, I, I don't know, maybe maybe like a professional runner or something like that. But <laughs> You know, it, it's super funny because I have a bunch of friends that are entrepreneurs and doing their own thing now at, at my age, only a couple of years out of college. And I was telling a buddy the other day, like, oh, I didn't, I didn't even know that was an option. Like when I was younger, I didn't even like think about business that much. I kind of thought that you just, you know, you, you go to school and then you get a job and you just like work forever. And so while I definitely have a job and it's like a huge part of my life and I love it, doing a podcast on my own has kind of been my me scratching the itch of like starting something and doing something on my own and having some fun with it. So I don't really know how we got here, but this is where we are today. Well, tell me about that journey kind of from 13 till now, right? You still are young. So, and I think that that's what's so awesome is to have a fresh perspective, right? I think that like having someone have a voice for the younger generation is so key, but getting to Wild Spark and, and starting your podcast, talk to me about that journey of, you know, what led you to Wild Spark, what led you to your role there, how you've kind of grown there. And then, 
what drove you to starting the podcast? I know you said scratching kind of that entrepreneur itch, but what was the kind of the impetus to, to start that and say, you know what I'm going to do? And, and where do you want to go, right? I think it's like where you are now and where do you want to go? Where do you see yourself? I think it leads into kind of talking about this generation and your generation specifically. Yeah, it's been a fun journey and I, I'm grateful for, for where I am. I don't know exactly where I'm going, but one of the biggest pieces of advice I give to people uh, my age, because I've just heard this from lots of people in my life is you don't, you may not know where you're going, but look at where you're spending your time and you can probably get a good pulse on the direction that you're heading. And I think so much of your twenties and, and really just being a young professional is saying, you know, what direction am I going in and how do I, how do I feel about that? Is the job that I'm in, the mentors that I have, the way I'm choosing to spend my time, is that moving me in the direction that I want to go? Because really, you'll never drift to your desired destination. So mm-hmm. you've got to be intentional about where you're going. And I think so much of your 20s is is working on that. And rewinding back into my story, I uh, spent a lot of time at church growing up. So I was involved with my youth group, played a lot of sports, was involved with school and in high school and college, and basically fi- started finding myself having a handful of these leadership titles. And it was a lot of fun and had a lot of responsibility. And um, at the time, I I probably didn't admit this to myself, but looking back, it felt pretty good to have some of those. But the temptation, and I think a lot of people fall into this, is you just make it about you and you don't make it about other people. And that's not what good leaders do. Like great leaders are, are others focused. And so there was a point as I found myself halfway through college and, you know, I, I had all of these leadership titles that I thought would make me happy. I realized that, like, if I was just living for me to build my name, one, I wasn't going to be that satisfied. And two, if I stayed on that path, then eventually I would probably be exposed. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it's funny because I don't think that anyone would look at me at the time and say, yeah, that guy's a jerk. He doesn't really have good character. And not to say that I had horrible character or horrible intentions, but it wasn't until you know, I had different mentors in my life and got to really uh, look at myself and really have a date with myself to say, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? And so that really shifted the way on the back end of college that I was able to lead in different capacities. And now I'm in the sweet spot. And this is what I like to encourage ambitious young professionals with. If you are listening to this podcast and you're younger, you probably do want to grow. You want to learn. Matt's an awesome guy. You can learn a bunch from him. But instead of chasing that next promotion title, leadership title right now. Sure, take it when you get it. But if you're an ambitious person, at some point in your life, you're probably going to be asked to be a manager and you might be leading people formally for the rest of your life. And you might be in the sweet spot right now where you grew up doing SGA, you were the captain of your sports team, you were involved in organizations in college. And so you're used to having you know these titles. But I'm in the sweet spot right now where I get to be selfish for once. You know, I'm not responsible for doing anything, but just crushing it in my job. I'm in sales. Just go sell. Like that's all I have to do. Now that doesn't mean I don't think about leadership along the way. I don't help out with people on, on the team, but it's cool because I've really been thinking about leadership and like the best leaders start by leading themselves really before they lead other people. And so to wrap this, uh, to tie a bow on this, I spend all of my time at work talking to executives and HR leaders that say, Hampton, I have people that I've promoted a manager there. If you had to guess, I mean, they could be anywhere from 25, 30, 35, 40 and on. They got promoted a manager because they know everything there is to know about finance. <laughs> they're the, they're, they are the best at numbers 
okay, but what about their ability to get feedback or coach or be empathetic or build a team or have emotional intelligence or have a tough conversation that never gets brought up. And so what I do at WildSpark is we have a software that, that is helping organizations develop leaders at scale. And so I got tired of hearing this from HR leaders and said, well, when I get promoted one day, I don't want people to say that about me. Like I want to learn how to lead right now so that I can lead other people. And yes, you can only learn so much without actually being in that job. But the reason I started my podcast, Wake Up and Lead, is really to teach myself and others around me who are young professionals to learn how to lead themselves first so that one day when they have the opportunity to formally lead others, it's not going to be like completely new, a new concept. And that's, that's the journey that I'm on right now. I'm learning in public. That's what I call it. That's very cool. I love that. And that's, that's one of the best ways to do it. That's one of the reasons why I like to have these conversations is I learn via conversation, just like we're having coffee. And I think that it's super interesting because you're a highly motivated, intellectual, young professional. And you know, I think about companies today and they talk about the war on talent and the ability to, to keep people in their, in their roles and in the jobs that they have or in the companies that they have. And that the younger generation is always just kind of churning and burning, right? The idea of the young professional staying with a company for 30 years is kind of something of the past. And I'm, I'm curious from your perspective as a young professional and as talking to these young professionals that want to lead and want to lead themselves and lead others, you know, what, do, what do the older generations or maybe the old guard not get about this current young generation in the workforce that is at your age or maybe slightly younger that's starting to get in the workforce? What, what is that old guard missing? What do they not get about this current generation? The great resignation is something that was, you know, that was probably a more of a 2022 thing, but everybody was leaving and they were like, what, what's wrong with, with people leaving? Why, what, what, you know, where's the loyalty yet? I've been at this in my job for 30 years. And there was some data that came out that said there are two main reasons for why people were leaving their organizations. One is pay. And so, you know, you may not be able to massively affect that depending on who you are or, or, or what you do. But the other reason tied for that was lack of advancement opportunities. And by advancement opportunities, wait a second, that doesn't mean promotion necessarily, because I know some of the older people listening to this are thinking, yeah, of course, this, you know, these millennials and Gen Z, they want their, they want their pay raise and promotion after six months, uh, which, which that might be kind of true. And to my peers, don't be that person. But at the same time, advancement can just mean how are they learning and growing? What is in it for me? You know, how are you going to to grow in your role as a leader? Or, or a, a lot of times, people just want to be a part of like a vision. Like I, I had somebody on my podcast once that's a chief people officer, and, and she said, "You could be a company that manufactures nails, but if there's a really strong vision around it." The younger generation, that is what they care about. It's not just like a means to an end to make money. And so I'll give you an example. Like for me, for example, I work at a company right now and my VP of operations who runs the whole thing is the person that empowered me to start getting active on LinkedIn and actually start a podcast, which definitely helps the company I work for, but it also helps me a lot. And that also means that a lot more recruiters see me, which means I also get people reach out to me about jobs more. But flip this upside down on its head. Yeah, that might give me more opportunities. And so a lot of times people are afraid to like empower their people and give them growth opportunities and exposure because it's like, oh, what if they leave? 
Well, what happens if you develop them and they stay? You have bad leaders anyways. So why don't you spend your time investing and developing your your young talent and creating a culture and organization where they can grow? And if it just so happens that they get an opportunity elsewhere, they will be a raving fan for you forever because you developed them. Does it stink if they leave? Sure, but they'll tell your friends about you and you'll be just fine. So I think the organizations that say, hey, we want to keep our top talent, but our number one priority is investing in them as people. And if they find a better opportunity somewhere else, I guess that's the way it is. So I don't know. A lot of people don't have that mindset, but but it works. What what motivates this generation? Because I know that like the great resignation, I think, is like the biggest topic. And, and I think that there's a big misconception that it is only money. And I know that you mentioned vision and, and helping to grow this, the, you know, the, the person. But the, the generation is there. What what drives what drives them to commit deeply to something? Right. I think it, the challenge that, that that is interesting in my perspective as we lead people and we grow people in our own firm is that this in, this generation grew up and every industry generation grows up differently. This generation grew up drastically different with the advancements in technology, the connectivity of social media, the connectivity that was abound, and the ability and ease of transferability, both professionally and, you know, in college and, and desires and everything of that nature, right? I can go like something on social one day and then go like something else on, you know, something else the next day. And I can watch a YouTube video for three seconds and move to the next one. I'm curious of like, what, what drives the, I think that there's this vision of that, that there's, there isn't commitment of that generation. What drives commitment of this generation, right? Like what, what would keep them, what would make them stay for 30 years if it's not money? Because like it's, they see their friends and they all, we all want more. That's like natural human instinct. That's not generational. That's just human instinct. So I'm curious on that side. It's a really big question because I just think it's super interesting how connected and, and thoughtful you are about this generation. And so I'm curious on like what would drive commitment from your perspective of this generation? Yeah, well, there's only so much we know because this new generation has only been around working for so long. So there, there's, there won't be proof that they stick around for 30 years until 30 years from now. Um, <laughs> so this is, this is all kind of speculation here. I, I also might just bring up the fact that Maybe gone are the days that most people stay somewhere for a long period of time. There may not be a code to crack. I mean, in the digital age and with technology, there's there's more opportunities to do your own thing and make money. And I will say that uh, the younger generation is definitely being lied to a lot. Like people are over exaggerating how it is how easy it is to be your own boss and do your own thing. And so I always encourage people, unless you have this burning passion to like, do your own thing and be an entrepreneur, then like go somewhere where you are going to learn. And like the best advice I got coming out of college was Hampton, go where you're going to grow the most. So I often say learn before you earn. Sure. I would love to learn and earn a lot, but like in your twenties, when you're younger, you're no matter what you do, you're probably not just going to make a killing. And even if you do, you're probably doing something that's going to burn you out anyways. So learn as much as you possibly can and then you either take that and maybe one day, may, sure, maybe you start your own thing or you're incredibly valuable in your mid to late 20s and into your 30s and beyond. But you brought up a point, um, and I learned this from someone in Atlanta, actually. His name is Dr. Tim Elmore. He's one of John Maxwell's thought leaders, and he is a generational expert. He wrote a book called A New Kind of Diversity. It is awesome. 
And he gives this acronym called SCENE. Uh, so S-C-E-N-E. He goes, this is our scene today. And it. he basically says, Gen Z, which by the way, I, I, I this is hilarious. I was about to say, I identify as a zillennial. If you look at my age, depending on who you talk to, I might be on the back end of millennial or new part of Gen Z, which is cool because it's like, I remember having a flip phone and stuff. Like I didn't grow up with an iPad when I was like six years old, uh, but I also like, I, I don't know, not, not to go in about me, but I have a unique perspective because I kind of feel like both here. But anyways, scene, acronym, what does this mean? Gen Z grew up in a world of speed, convenience, entertainment, nurture, and entitlement. So speed, like high-speed internet at all times, like you microwave your food, it goes really fast. Convenience, you're not, if you live in Atlanta, like there's suburbs all over the place. You don't have to leave ever if you don't want to. Entertainment, like you said, you can spend three minutes on a YouTube video. If you don't like it, you go to the next. Nurture, our parents said safety first, safety first, safety first, which is not necessarily a bad thing but we can go into that. And then entitlement with all those things, of course, you're going to be entitled. And so if we look at speed, convenience, entertainment, nurture, and entitlement, if you grow up believing that that's the norm, then if you look at the opposite of each of those things, which are actually really good, that's that's the problem with this generation. So the opposite is slow, hard, boring risk and labor. So like it's good to slow down. Slow is, slow is smooth, smooth is fast, hard. Nothing good comes on the back end of easy Boring neuroscientists tell us that it's good to go outside and be bored every once in a while. Risk. Our country was built on risk. Your business was built on risk. It's good to take calculated risk. And then labor, like you got to work to get stuff. And so what he says is if they grow up believing that these things are are inherently bad just because of the world they, they were born into, and really, if we're honest, they were ambushed by technology because like they, they didn't choose for it to be there. He says, this is not a cop-out for Gen Z, but... Instead of bashing on them, we need to recognize as older millennials, Gen X, baby boomers, that we created that world that they were born into. Like we we created it for them. And so what, what can we do? Put on our empathy caps and recognize that we might act the same way if we grew up in that same world. And then how do we, and I can give some practical tips that he shares on how to like build a bridge, not a wall between the generations. But I just feel like that's the world that Gen Z grew up in and why we're seeing some of the things we're seeing. Go down that path. I love that acronym of scene. And I think that the idea of like what you grew up in is who you are. And it's like we are creatures of our of our own creation and our own habitat. And you know, the baby boomers didn't have that. And so they look at that and they're like, that's crazy. But that doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just different. And different doesn't make it wrong. Different makes it that they created it actually. And that they created a lot of good, but there's also a lot of bad of it. But how can we as leaders, maybe as Gen as X or Gen Y or baby boomer leaders, bridge to that scene aspect, that scene acronym to the Gen Zs and and help to have that empathetic connection, but also an understanding of how do we kind of both come to give in a little bit on each side for each of us? So Dr. Tim Elmore, the author of this book, and this takes a lot of humility, what I'm about to share. He calls himself a mentern. So he's the CEO of his company, but he's like, I am a mentern. So yes, I want to mentor this younger generation and teach them some of these things, but people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so if you are interested in them first and you are an intern to them then they're going to really trust you and you can share some of those things with them. So so what do I mean by that? Well, what value does some 22-year-old kid have to me? I've been in the industry for forever. 
Well, first off, he he talks about how there are like timely life principles and timeless ones. So like there's timeless things that me as a 25, almost 26 year old, I don't know because I, I just haven't, I don't have the experience. And a lot of you listening to me and looking at me, you're probably like, if he could just learn this, which I get, and I want to learn that. And by the way, to my peers, please seek out mentors. We have so much to learn. Ideally, my generation is just asking to, to learn, and this isn't an issue. But but based on the way that people are, it's going to take an act of humility for maybe the old, older generation to come and learn. There's also time lead principles where my generation, like, you, we grew up with technology. We know how to use it. You can really be effective with like marketing and branding and stuff like that. He shares some stories of like how some of the younger generation has like transformed even the marketing of a company because they know how the world works now. And so really it's just getting people to have conversations. I, I think it was Mr. Rogers that says you can't learn not to love someone once you know their story. So at the end of the day, it's just like get to know each other and you can learn a lot from each other. His whole book is about building a bridge, not a wall between the generations and really seeing the differences as a strength, not a weakness. You know, it's also, it's this idea of leaning into conversations without an agenda, right? Not trying to convince them that you're right, your, your way is right and their way is wrong. A no agenda of truly having curiosity and understanding and, and, and a desire to learn about that individual that will then create that bridge i think that that's super interesting i'm curious on because some of those timeless things right is like relationships in person and in building and deepening bonds and you know that tends to build trust and and there's something about communication in person that you know you sometimes lose in technology and there's values because you have speed and an ease of communication with technology that you didn't have you know prior and you can get a lot more done which then can create a lot of negatives as well. But, you know, what what instills, I'm curious of this and not like as like a setup, it's more of like a curiosity. It's like, what does Gen Z say builds trust? What to them is like a stable or a foundational element of trust in their world? Because then if I go ask like a baby boomer, I'm, I'm wondering if it's going to be the same thing. Like I just think my the first one that comes to mind is my dad who founded our firm and I think that his way of saying trust and my way of saying trust may be the same, but may be slightly different. How he built trust in his career early on is different than how I build trust with people today. So I'm curious, like to Gen Z, like what are the cornerstones of trust? Yeah, I wish I had the data to or the source to share what I'm about to share, but I have heard a lot about how Gen Z much more than millennials, much more than Gen X, I don't know about boomers, really craves authenticity. And I'll show you where like we're seeing this in our society. I had a conversation with someone I work with the other day that is like right smack dab in the middle of millennials. And they talk about like if they're going to listen to a podcast, if they're going to go to a conference or something like that, they want to know what's the credibility, how many, you know, how many books have they written, how effective of a communicator are they, what is the quality of their videos and their content and everything. Gen Z, if you get on like TikTok right now, where a lot of them are, a lot of the people that are the biggest there are just sitting in their car with their with their camera up their nostrils, sharing their heart. And like maybe maybe it's because the the millennials created this environment through social media of like perfection and this illusion that we have it all together. And so Gen Z's running the opposite direction and craves authenticity, which I think there's pros and cons to because a lot of times in the age of social media, there are a lot of people that really have the ear of their 
14 to, you know, 20 year old peers who really have no business like speaking to them. And it like breaks my heart that, that that's happening. But at the same time, there's people that because of the age of social media can really get a lot of attention if they have a good message to share. Where I'll end is if you, I need to find this data too, but I heard that if you look at music that's made today, often by younger people, instead of songs about like love, like it always used to be, which I'm not saying that's how it necessarily should be, but like most songs are about like me and my depression and my issues that I have. And so it's almost like this like self-deprecation where we're just being so authentic and talking about like all of our issues and struggles, which now I'm going in another rant, but but I think that it is good to be authentic and share what we are struggling with. But humility is something I've learned a lot about. And humility, as C.S. Lewis says, is not thinking less of yourself. It's not writing a song about all of your problems. It's obviously not thinking more of yourself but being arrogant. It's just thinking less of yourself. Like think about yourself less. And I think that that's one thing that our generation could probably do a little bit better of but all around authenticity that's what they want but i mean it, you, you it kind of stems also you know just give kind of like a, some a prop to the generation or like not to like bail them out to full extent but is that and every generation has their own issues um is that you know gen z that scene idea like the the entitlement led to that right like hey like entitlement can also mean that i can talk about all my things and like you know, my parents were there for me and like, and now I'm in the world and I'm all alone. Like, where's my parents coming in to save me? And like, there's some of that. That is just how the generation built up Gen Z and, and some of the millennial. And, and that's a challenge. And, you know, I'm curious to shift this conversation to how Gen Z thinks about money and in the way that they think about saving. And, you know, you think about the traditional wealth management world, you know, today, it's all about saving for retirement. And like, that's impossible for Gen Z to think about because who knows when they'll retire, what does retirement look like? That's like more than a lifetime away from them. And so it's a hard time for Gen Z when at this age with money, because you're in your, you're like, you're in your growing years, trying to reach your peak earning years. And there's a lot of things going on. Uh, There's a, you're paying off student loan debt, you're saving for a house, you're building a family, maybe starting a family. There's a lot of expenses that go in. And I think that the the current wealth management industry tries to talk about retirement, but that misses because there's no way to think about retirement in a, in a world that is like a spiral of, of all these expenses. And we're missing the connection point there because we see it one way and we know the power of that. And so does Gen Z, but the, it's hard for us to spend our industry to spend time with Gen Z because they don't have any money to invest, which is why there's some changing under the landscape. And so I'm curious in terms of like for you specifically, not don't even think about the generation. What would you want your wealth manager to come and help you with? Let's talk about that first. Mm, I mean, a lot of times the, the advisors that I know, they're just accountability partners, (laughs) you know, it's like, Hey, you you said that you want to have X money at the end of the month to save or put away, or let's talk about it. It's the same thing as like fitness. That's a huge hobby of mine. Fitness stuff in reality is like really simple, but a lot of times people don't want to use like the mental energy to like focus on that. They just want a guide. And so, I mean, I don't know like a ton about like being an advisor or wealth management or anything like that, but the people that I know, 
so much of it from what I see is like just that relational side, which I feel like that's probably one of those timeless principles about relationships and trust are super important. And so it's really just saying, hey, where do you want to go? And maybe as a Gen Z, it's hard for you to think about retirement right now. So let's think five years. So you just get out of college. Are you dating someone? Are you going to get married? Okay. How do you need to save up for this? Do you want to get a house? You're going to have a kid. And so like, I mean, in my life, it's like I graduated college. My wife and I had quite a large amount of student debt. Uh, she came from California to Sanford University. Crazy story, amazing story. But we lived in an older lady's basement, shout out to Mildred, and ate rice and beans for two years. And we're just, just crushing that student debt, work, working on it. And then like we got a house and then we got a dog and then we got a car and we have a kid coming in three weeks, October 12th. Oh so my like, gosh, congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. So I, I'm excited, but like I am on that journey right now. I just say, I, I see money as like a, a tool, you know, it can get you, it can get you more money. It can get you more time and you either pay with things and time or with money. And so I'm trying to say, okay, what can, this is another thing. Uh, and I don't know if this is where you want to go, but there's a guy I know, he's actually an advisor. His name's Mondo Salvanti. He is killing it on LinkedIn, but he, as a 25 year old uses his money in such a unique way. Like I think so often, people our age are not going to pay for like a coach, like some sort of like, like a life coach, or he has someone do his branding for him on LinkedIn. Someone make who creates videos for him. He doesn't cut his grass and it's not because he's sitting on the couch all day, but he has really figured out that I'm either paying for something in time or money. And if I can spend money to spend my time doing what I love more or to make more money, it's going to go a long way. So I've kind of learned that from him and I'm trying to lean in and say, I'm not in a spot where I can just use money to be lazy, but like, how can I use it as a tool to get me more time for the things that I need to do? Quick lightning round on this one. So when it comes to money, is money in your mind is money is to be saved or be spent on experiences? Lightning round. Right now saved. I mean, I want to have experiences, but right now saved. (laughs) Saved. Sorry, I love that mentality. Yeah, I love that mentality. And then when it comes to growing yourself, right? And, and, or let me talk about accountability partner, communication medium, in person or virtual. Is this just like for anything or like as a... Anything. Oh, let's talk about wealth, money, money management. Let's talk about money management. I think I'm open to both, but you may, you may need an actual answer. I think it depends. I can't take that. I need one or the other. That's why lightning round. Okay. Okay. In, in person or virtual. In person. I love that. You think that that, and that's where I wanted to go with that. Do you think that that's the norm for the industry, for your generation? No. I also, going back to, I'm, I, you know, where I'm, I may be a millennial. I'm on the back end of millennials. I think you're also going through a life event that's going to be drastically influential on you with having a kid and having marriage. And a lot of people at your age aren't necessarily at that stage, which is a, which is a really testament to kind of where you're at in your journey as well, which I think is incredible. Thanks. I, I do yeah. think going forward, people may be more like, oh yeah, just virtual. You know, I, I don't, I don't want to talk to someone face to face. Who would do that? <laughs> All right. So here's, I want to wrap up with this and then I want, because this is, I mean, I, I have to say, you know, this was a conversation that's super interesting to me because I think it's getting into the mind of, a, I don't think that enough advisors and enough in our industry are having conversations like this with other generations to really understand them. And I think that, you know, you do such a good job of of being on the forefront for that generation because I think that people aspire in your generation 
mission to be like you. And I think that others in the in the in the world, and especially the workforce, see that this generation, there's so much there if we just have these conversations and we build the bridges as you mentioned. And so, you know, one of the things that we talked about pre-recording was this idea of uh, growth mindset. It came from the Carol Dweck book of of mindset. I'm curious to your perspective, right from from your seat. You have there is a journey ahead that you're gonna you're gonna just slaughter. You're gonna kill it. What is growth mindset to you? Like, how do you think about growth mindset? I've had a well. I think about doing the opposite of what I've done for a lot of my life, which is have a fixed mindset. And some of the fixed mindset is they stay in the comfort zone. They're afraid of failure. They're obsessed with natural talent. And they only do the things that they like know they're they're good at. And a growth-minded person is okay with failing. In fact, in some instances, they may chase failure. There's a guy I know named Ryan Leak that wrote a book called Chasing Failure. And he says, I'm willing to fail at things that most people won't even try. And and I mean, man, like that that rocked my world. So I think you we learn a ton from failure because it teaches us lessons that success can't teach us. Now, we may not want these catastrophic failures. You want to take calculated risks here, uh, but just all, you know, stepping out of the comfort zone because so much of what keeps us in the comfort zone is our egos and our insecurity. And when you realize that like people say in your twenties, you, you, you worry about what other people think about you in your forties, you finally stop worrying. And then in your sixties, you realize that no one was thinking about you in the first place. Uh, and so that's kind of one thing that I've been embracing and I'm just like, you know, what does God want me to do with my life? And I'm going to follow in that way. And I may, I may fail, but like, I want to learn and grow. And we actually just did a webinar on this today. It was called why a growth mindset isn't enough, but that might, I love a growth mindset. It's kind of a clickbaity title, but if we have time, I can always go into do what we even mean by that. Tell me more. Tell me more. I mean, we have time. Tell me more a little bit on that. And then I have one last question and then our two wrap up questions, but let's not, let's not leave a cliffhanger there. Tell me okay. more on that. Okay, here we go. So a growth mindset is extremely important. And if you are closer to my age, one of my peers, you probably want to start there. I think everyone needs to start with a growth mindset because in order to to, to be a good leader, like you, you want to have that growth mindset. And I think in order to lead others, you have to be able to lead yourself. So a big part of leading yourself is that growth mindset. However, I think that if, if you just are a growth-minded person, that's so much about self. Like we live in a, a society where it's all about me, 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 self, self, self. How can I help myself? We listed off a piece of data that people spend 57 hours a year taking selfies. That, that was a piece of data that came out lately. <laughs> and so we just spend a lot of time thinking about us. Most of the books behind me are self-help books, which are great. But if you only learn how to help grow yourself, like one, you may not be that satisfied because I think we were made to help and lead other people. But two, you're probably not going to go as far as you think you would because you don't have any people to bring with you. And so we talk about like there's the growth mindset. But then once you've mastered that, you want to teach the growth mindset to people behind you. And so that's developing what we call a successional mindset. So who is the leader behind me? How can I develop them? And then the the third mindset that we talked about in this webinar is a multiplication mindset to where if you look at an organization, uh, if you said that, that your dad started something a, a while ago, there's Gen 1, the builder's mindset. Their backs are against the wall. They're taking on a lot of risk. And then Gen 2 comes along and they are called the protectors. They saw the builders, Gen 1. They're the protectors and they're like, I don't want to mess this up. They put in the sacrifice. They took, they took this risk. I'm going to protect what they built. 
But then Gen 3 comes along and they are typically the squanderers because they don't recognize the vision. They didn't see the sacrifice. And that's partially their fault, but that's partially on Gen 1 and Gen 2 for not developing them to have that like builder's mentality. And so I I know I kind of went on a rant here, but I'm passionate about this right now. I, I believe that a growth mindset is absolutely where you start. But if you want to leave a legacy, if you want to build a business, if you want to lead people well, you got to think successionally and develop the people behind you. But the real trick to, to true scale and true growth and true legacy is really that multiplication mindset. It's how am I successionally leading this person behind me to then go and build other leaders? And so that's what we've been talking a lot about at WildSpark, and I'm kind of fired up about it if you can't tell. I love that. That's super interesting. I think that's a really interesting way of of thinking about it, you know, especially like the the builder, the preserver, and then like the multiplication mindset is super intriguing. I think that when you can become selfless enough to do that and be able to inspire others, then your a, a true company or a true success is when people don't necessarily know who did it. They know the company, not the person. And uh, that's a that's a true success. You know, I, I, I want to ask this question and it and it could it could flop and, and I'm okay with that. Is you know I, I'm curious from your perspective. I mean I'm not that much older than you, but I, I, you know, that's been a, it's been a few more years in the industry. And some people have asked me when I was younger as well, you know, when you look out 30 years and you sit on, you know, kind of your mountaintop and you look back, what, what do you hope to say was like the biggest advancement that you and in this generation, call it the millennial generation has created in this world? Hmm. And you can take your time to think on that because it is a big question, but I think it's super interesting to say, you know, where is that, that vision, right? I, I think it's, it's something we don't know what the future holds. We don't know where this journey takes us and we only hope that we can make it to that far and it's out of our control to be honest. But when we, if we do get that opportunity, we want to make an impact. There needs to be somewhere we're driving to. And, you know, for like my sense, right, my mission is that every human being has a human financial advisor because I think that the power of a human financial advisor is so great that those that don't have it are missing out. And it's a it's a shame. And uh, we need to create the scalability, the efficiencies and the opportunities for everybody to have a human financial advisor and make it profitable for everybody and valuable for everybody. And that's my mission. And I hope that in 30 years that every single person, however 400 million people have a human financial advisor, right? Even mm. kids that are five. I don't know. That, that seems like that's impossible, but we'll <laughs> get there. So I'm curious, as you look at that, right? You sit on your mountaintop 30 years from now. What, what do you hope the impact that you and this generation has made? It's good. There's, there's actually a plaque on my desk and, and I promise you I don't have this mindset every day. It's actually a reminder. It says... Well, I'll tell you the backstory. We do a lot of work with Chick-fil-A and I was at their conference this year for all of their owner operators and their support staff. And they've got a guy, Tim Tisopoulos, who was their, their president for several years. And he worked there for 40 years under Truett Cathy, really helped build out Chick-fil-A. And he was the most selfless leader. He, he never made it about himself. And he had this plaque on his desk and Henry Clout uh, gave this speech about Tim Tisopoulos and was like, Tim, the reason tonight is all about you is because you never made it all about you. And on his desk, he had this plaque that said, there is no limit to what a man can do or where he can go. If he doesn't mind, who gets the credit? And I remember sitting there young in my career, ambitious. I've got all these goals. And I was like, that's a gut punch. And sure, like I want to be recognized. I want to have value. But 
at the end of the day, I, I have actually gotten a lot of peace and joy from a, a book that I've read. And I know maybe you, I don't know if you're going to ask about books, but like my number one book that I recommend is called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And it's by Tim Keller. It is a Christian book. I have lots of friends that that aren't Christians that have read it and they still get something out of it. Uh, and it really just talks about like how we will live so much more joyful and fulfilled lives. Like if it's not always about us and like people probably aren't going to remember our names in a hundred years. I knew actually multiple of my great grandparents. And unfortunately I don't even know some of their first names, you know, like most people can't even name their great grandparents first names. And you better believe that they busted their tail likely for you to be where you are. And so for me, I think that if we can be a generation that's a little bit less like me, me, me and more we, 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 man, I really think that the world can be a much better place. And and for me as, as, as a follower of Christ, that's a huge part of it. My faith, I really believe that that will shape a huge part of that there. Um, but in 30 years, you know, my, my temptation is like, oh, I want to do this and I want to do that. And sure, I have goals and, you know, I want to do big things. But at the end of the day, like, it's not about me. Uh, I think that that is a uh, that is a worthy ambition, and that's a worthy cause to get behind. So, kudos to you, my friend. You did answer the one question that I was going to ask, which is a book. If you want to share, I always like to learn from people that are smarter than me, like yourself. And you know, one of the ways I like to learn is through reading, and so I always like to read books. So, you said one. Do you have another one that you want to share, or do you want to use that one as your as your answer to this question? Hmm. I think I'll stick with that. The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It's by Tim Keller. He actually just passed away, um, but he's an amazing man and just talks about how like every every day we wake up and as humans, we we feel like we're on trial. We're in the courtroom and we have to like prove that that we are worthy, that 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 we're not bad. And of course it's from like a faith aspect, but it's just been really helpful because, you know, I, I said this, I alluded to this earlier, but a lot of times like people think that because they're not super arrogant that they're humble but like humility again is not thinking less of yourself like oh woe is me it's just thinking of yourself less so you know whether you are self-consumed and arrogant or self-consumed and insecure they're both equally wrong that's called pride and the, (laughs) the more that we're thinking about ourselves like the less bandwidth we have to really go and impact other people it's not doing anybody any good uh so that that book really helped me a lot with that I love that. I love that. Last question I have for you is, uh, you know, we talked about a ton today and this conversation was awesome. What's one piece of actual advice you hope that our listeners take away from this conversation we had today? Man, I didn't say this, but if there's one thing I learned in the first three and a half years of my career that I know for a fact I will take with me for the rest of my life, it is to be interested over interesting. Be interested over interesting. When you walk into a room I got this one from from Bob Golf, but like when you walk into a room and say, instead of saying, "Hey everybody, here I am," high fiving everybody, find somebody, look them in the eyes, and say, "There you are. I am so excited to see you." And go and ask them questions about yourself. One, it's a lot more fulfilling because you learn about other people, and we all have a desire to make people feel, no- or we all have a desire to be known. So if you can fulfill that desire for someone else, it can go a long way. Also, like you want to be authentic with this, so I, I, I hesitate with saying this, but people will like you more anyways if you just ask them about them. So it's only going to help you. If you're an advisor, be interested over interesting, regardless of what you do. But that has gone a long way for me. I love that. 
Hampton, dude, what a great conversation. Super interesting, super inspiring, man. And uh, I know that a lot of people are going to want to continue to follow you on your journey, which is going to lead you to some great things. So what's the best way for people to get in touch and stay in touch and continue to follow what you're doing? Thank you so much, Matt. This has been fun. Unlike most of my generation, my, my primary social media is LinkedIn. So if you look me up on LinkedIn, Hampton Dorge, that's where to follow me. Love that, man. Hey, congratulations on the new addition to the family. Best of luck to you and your wife, and uh, hopefully everything it goes smoothly. And thanks again for joining us here on Bridging the Gap. Yeah, thanks so much, Matt. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Bridging the Gap. Don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think. 